וואו. Jesus, for the joy set before him endured the suffering of the cross. For the joy set before him endured the suffering of the cross. Stop and think about that for a minute. Just stop and think about that. <laughs> Alan was up last week. I'll, I'll, I'll get to my stuff in a minute, but... Alan was here last week, and he was talking about how inspired he was by the people that he met and the joy that they had in the face of suffering, quite extreme, quite severe suffering in some cases. Now, everyone here, everyone here is alive, yes? Good. It's a good start. Everyone here, just by being alive and being at whatever age, even that me and you and I are, whatever, has endured some suffering at some stage. Am I right? Yes. So I'm speaking to the right people. That's good. But for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the suffering of the cross. We have an inkling of what the suffering of the cross might have been. We've seen the films. We've read the descriptions. We might have a bit of an idea But for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the suffering of the cross. Am I missing something? For the joy set before him. Wow. The joy. It's amazing what you'll do when you're filled with joy. It's amazing what you can overcome when you're filled with joy. It's amazing what you can achieve when you're filled with joy. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the suffering of the cross. What's the joy? What is so good? What's, the, what's that joy? And I was reminded five minutes ago um, when we are in the middle of that last song, and we spoke about this not so long ago, the shorter Westminster Catechism, for those of you who are interested in such things. But what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy, enjoy Him, enjoy Him forever. So I'm thinking there must be something in this joy that I haven't got a proper grip on yet. There must be something in this that I haven't quite got to. What's this joy? What is the joy? Oh, right. We'll get on to, we'll get on to the script. Eh? We'll get on to why I was actually asked to come up here. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Right. Was anybody here last week? Most of us. Good. Because the team came back from Uganda and I, I loved it. I loved it. I loved hearing the stories. I loved the enthusiasm that was in the meeting. I loved hearing from them. I, he, I loved seeing the pictures. I loved uh, 
I love the message that Alan brought about joy and the testimonies of joy and the testimonies of joy and adversity. The joy of salvation. People were getting saved. There was joy. I loved hearing about all of that stuff. And in the middle of enjoying myself at church, careful now, and listening to these joyful stories, a thought popped into my head. Doesn't happen that often, but it does happen. This thought popped into my head. Well, actually, it wasn't a thought. It was more like a, a feeling. But it kind of formed itself into a question. And it was this. What has happened to all your joy? What has happened to all your joy? And straight away, I mean, I was in the middle of this service hearing these wonderful, amazing things and people were coming back from Uganda. It was, it was great. But straight away, my, my focus shifted from the great church service that I was in to all these situations that I've faced recently. I started thinking about the difficulties and the problems and things that are, have been mounting up. And immediately I could feel myself actually making excuses for myself for not having the joy. Because, well, this has been difficult. This has been... This has taken, and within seconds then, suddenly I'm, I'm transported almost out of the church and I'm back fighting previous battles with people in my head and I'm reliving conversations and situations. It's funny how when you relive conversations that you've had with people, you always think of something clever that you could have said as well. Eh? That's annoying. Eh? But anyway, that's where I suddenly was. I was in a, a completely different place. And all this great church service is going, and I'm sitting over there, uh, trying to, you know, fighting almost inside myself. And the, but the question came back. It wouldn't go away. What has happened to all your joy? Wow. What has happened to all my joy? I do remember. I do remember the joy of salvation. It's not that long ago. I'm not as old as Ewan. Um, I do remember that. I remember being joyful. I remember a time when I danced like David. Almost. Almost. But I remember being joyful, joining the Lord. It was almost like... It, was, it had become part of my identity. It was a new thing. And I was excited to be following Jesus. I was excited that my life had turned around. I was excited that I was now a Christian. I never thought that would happen for somebody like me, but it did. Wow. I was joyful. I was, I was thankful as well. But what has happened to all your joy? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, as found in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So in theory, in theory, I should have limitless joy on tap. It should just be there. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I should have joy with no bounds, no limits. It should be there on tap. What's happened to all your joy? It's probably, to say, it's probably safe to say that joy is one of the more elusive fruits for believers. I think part of the problem is that joy sometimes gets misunderstood. We tend to equate happiness with joy, but they're actually two different ideas because they come from two different sources. One comes from the world around me, and the other originates directly from the Holy Spirit Spirit of the living God. Happiness 
is conditioned by what is happening to me. If people treat me well, if things are going well in my life, then I'm happy. If my circumstances aren't favorable, then I'm unhappy. Joy, on the other hand, kind of lives throughout Scripture. It's this profound, compelling quality of life that transcends events and and disasters and things that might come against God's people. Throughout the Bible, you can see it. Joy is a divine dimension. It's a spiritual state of living. that It's not determined by our circumstances. I understand that the Hebrew word means to leap or spin around with pleasure. And in the New Testament, the word that's used for joy often refers to gladness, bliss, and celebration. So to have the fruit of joy in our lives, the fruit of joy, that's the other thing. It's a fruit. Something's got to happen first. There's a journey in getting there. It takes time. It takes diligence. It takes patience. It takes hard work to make the grapevine produce the grapes. It takes hard work to get the fruit. Fruit isn't instantaneous. It's got to overcome weather. It's got to overcome pests. It's got weeds or poor soil or neglect. It's got things to overcome. On our journey, we're faced with times of apathy or nagging voices and pessimism. And there can be moments of doubt. And there are fears. There's depths of despair. There's all sorts of things that we come up against in life. And there's no way that we can manufacture this fruit on our own. If we want to see this fruit in our lives, we desperately need the Holy Spirit to come and to prune away all that hinders joy in our lives. And then to empower us to make some choices and move us closer, move us into a joyful lifestyle. So today, what I'm going to do, it's a practical one today. I'm going to look at three common joy stealers, things that are going to steal the joy from our lives and things we need to guard against. And then I'll look at three joy builders, things that we can begin to cultivate and grow in our lives. Now, I've got to acknowledge the help of an American Baptist pastor called Bill Bryan. He did a great teaching on this that I read again recently. But anyway, here we go. Next slide, please. Okay, joy stealers. Before Paul wrote to the church at Galatia about the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 5, he asked a very penetrating question. Galatians 4.15. Well, at least he asked this question in the NIV. That's what I was reading this week. But he asked this question. What has happened to all your joy? You heard that before somewhere? That got my attention. I actually felt a little bit encouraged. I thought, oh, good. It's not just me. What has happened to all your joy? And I've got a wee quote for you. William Barclay said this. He says, A gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms, and nothing in all religious history has done Christianity more harm than its connection with black clothes and long faces. Oops. At least I've got a round face, though. (laughs) So let's look at three of the the joy stealers, the things that often give us the long faces. The first one, unsatisfied expectations. 
we think that's quite straightforward. But we'll go into all of these, spend a couple of minutes on each. Do you ever feel like you're going through some joyless routines in life? Do you ever feel that? It's good. It's good to be honest with ourselves. Remember, let's not be bitter. Let's get better. Okay? Somebody appreciated that one. I've got an amen. Brilliant. In truth, though, some of us are discontent in some way with the way that our lives are progressing. Most of us are. Most of us are. We can remember times, if we're not currently in a time, where we're a wee bit frustrated with the way that our lives are going. And it could be the expectations for all sorts of things, from marriage to kids to, to job, just aren't going the way that you think they should be. Perhaps it's just that, you know, we don't have what we think we should have at this time. Maybe we don't have everything we want. Maybe we don't have a bigger house. Maybe we don't have a nicer car. Maybe we don't have a better job. Or maybe we don't have good friends. Or maybe we don't have insane abs. Or maybe we don't all have insane abs. Whatever it is, some of us often feel that there's something missing. Unsatisfied expectations. But I'm convinced that a spirit of discontentment can rob many of us of joy. Listen to how Paul discovered the secret of being content with what God had given to him. It's in Philippians 4, verse 12. Right, I'll just read this to you. I think I've got a note of it up there. Make a note if you are doing so. Philippians 4, verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. It's interesting to know that Paul calls contentment a secret, like there's a mystery about it. He's also had to learn to live with unsatisfied expectations. Now, we, we also have to learn how to live with little or with plenty. I read this one during the week, and I love this one. It says, contentment doesn't come when we have everything we want, but when we want everything that we have. Contentment. Contentment. The mystery. Okay. So the first joy thief then is unsatisfied expectations. Be on the lookout for this thief. The next one is unresolved conflict. And I know we've spoken about this one before. But our joy evaporates when we allow conflict between ourselves and another person to go on. When someone else's offense against us occupies our mental and our emotional energy and attention, we've got little left over for God. Anger clouds our hearts and it obscures our view of God. And this drains away our joy. And we're disconnecting already. We're stepping further and further away from the source. Of course it's going to drain away our joy. Getting further and further from God. And there's another thing. How many times do these perceived offenses that people have caused us, how often are they just in our own heads anyway? I mean, how many times has the other party not really knowingly done something to you? It's a waste of time and energy. It's a joy stealer. Don't get caught up in unresolved conflict. Let's move on from these things. Hebrews 12, 14 says this. It says, Make every effort to live in peace, with all men, and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble 
and defile many. Remember another fruit of the Spirit, not just joy, love. Well, we know that love keeps no record of wrongs. Seriously, if we're still itemizing people's mistakes and mess-ups, the fruit of joy will also be squashed in our lives. Paul recognizes the link between joy and unity in Philippians 2, verse 2. He says this, he says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and purpose. So, okay, no unresolved conflict. And the last one that I want to look at is unconfessed sin. The third joy thief is perhaps responsible for chasing joy out of our lives more quickly than anything else. Guilt can flatten your joy faster than anything I know. Sin will send joy far, far away. David understood this very well when he attempted to ignore the promptings of the Spirit. Take a look at Psalm 32. Make a note of it. Psalm 32, the first five verses. I'll read them to you, though. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, this is a bit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. I love how this psalm ends. David owns his sin. He takes responsibility. And his joy returns. Verse 11 says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Did you catch that? Sing, all you who are are upright in heart. He was not able to rejoice or experience the joy of the Lord until he confessed his sins. And that's very similar to what David wrote in Psalm 51, where he said, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. So, just to recap then, three thieves, three joy stealers, three things to be on guard for, unsatisfied expectations, unresolved conflicts, unconfessed sins. Before we move on to the positive joy builders, I just want to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity right now to do that little bit of pruning in our lives. Let's just take a minute. Just take a minute. Even as I'm speaking, just take a minute. Start speaking to God. I mean, you can, you can, you can listen to me. You can play this back on SoundCloud. But take a time to listen to the Holy Spirit. And whatever he's saying to you just now, take notes if you want to, if it helps. But if you have some unsatisfied expectations, do you, do you have any? And have the lead to a spirit of discontentment. Ask God. Ask God to search your heart. If so, determine to do whatever it takes to learn the secret of wanting everything that you have and not necessarily having everything that you want. When you do this, you'll begin to experience joy, even in the small things in life. Confess discontentment to him. Confess it now to him, just between you and him. But then 
let's act on these. The next one then, are we involved as, uh, are we involved in conflict with someone? If so, bring it to God, confess it to him, and make plans to meet with that person and be reconciled. Okay, is God's hand heavy upon you just now because of some sin that you've not confessed or repented of? Don't keep silent any longer. It'll only chew up your joy. Acknowledge the guilt. Step back into the joy that was once yours. And that's the great news this morning, is that lost joy can be restored. As a result of some discontentment, some conflict, some open sin, David had lost the plot, spiritually speaking. He'd lost the plot. His joy was a long-lost memory, and yet he was able to boldly pray in Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. See? That first love, the starting point, the joy of salvation. God honored that prayer in David. And God will hear that prayer from you. Okay, let's move on. Next slide, please. Joy builders, things that are going to build joy into our lives so that we don't lose the joy. Okay, I've got another great wee quote, and you might have heard this one before. I think it was familiar to me, but I found it again during the week. It's an old-time evangelist called Billy Sunday said this. He says, the trouble with many men is that they've got just enough religion to make them miserable. There is, if there's not any joy in religion, then you've got a leak in your religion. I like that. Just enough religion to make you miserable. Let's get a bit more of God then. God not only wants to restore lost joy, he wants us to cultivate and grow things that are going to build lasting joy into our lives so that we don't have leaks in our religion. The Bible gives us several ways to experience joy. I'm going to look at three of them today. So let's start with the first one. The first one is recognize God as joyful. This was a when I discovered this one, this is, this is a great one. We can be helped greatly in reclaiming our joy if we learn to stop seeing our Father in heaven as a stern taskmaster. Zephaniah 3.17 is a bit of a revelation. If taking notes, take a note of that reference, Zephaniah 3.17. It is a bit of a revelation. Listen to how God feels about you. I'm going to read this out. I just, this is great. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. (laughs) What? He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that incredible? God delights in you and breaks into song when he thinks about you. That's hard to believe, isn't it? That's a bit of a game changer. The Living Bible paraphrases this verse. I like this one as well. Is that a joyous choir I hear? No, it is the Lord himself exulting over you in happy song. Can you imagine that? 
Can you imagine that? Yeah, that, that's what happens. That's what's happening. That's how God feels about us. He loves us that much. We make him happy. Fancy that. Fancy that. Ah. Psalm 104, verse 31 says this. It says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. That's you. That's you. May the Lord rejoice in his works. That's you and me. That's us. God rejoices in us. Oof. Isaiah 65, verse 18. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. Mind-blowing, eh? It is. If we have little or no joy in our lives, could it be that it's because we don't know God well enough? Because joy is one of his main character qualities. It's great, eh? When we recognize God is joyful, we're even more drawn to him. He's not an aloof judge just waiting for us to mess up so that it can unleash his fury at us. He's created us to be his delight, and he finds great joy in us. God finds joy in us. And there's more good news. Nehemiah 8.10, you know this one. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's how the saints endure. That's how we get through the stuff that life throws at us. This joy that we've just described that God has, that's our strength. That's what strengthens us. That's what carries us. Because it's our God that carries us, and God is joyful. It's the joy of the Lord that carries us. It's His strength. But it becomes ours. That's amazing. That is amazing. That's how the saints endure. So recognize God as joyful. The second thing I want, to, I want us to look at, the second joy builder, the second thing I'd like us to do to build joy into our lives so we don't lose the joy is release our problems to the Lord. Release our problems to Jesus. Give it to Him. Let Him carry the burdens. One of the hallmarks, I suppose, of Christian joy is that it can be experienced in the most intense sorrow and loss. And that's what Alan was picking up last week as well. This is what deeply impacts us when we meet people like this who can experience this deep joy in the midst of intense sorrow and loss. Often we, des we, we kind of define happiness as um, the absence of something undesirable, such as pain or suffering or disappointment. But Christian joy is the proper response to something that is desirable, and that's the presence of God himself. Christian joy is the proper response to the presence of something desirable, God himself. Acts 16, this, I, I've always loved this one, but Acts 16, and you know the story. The authorities beat Paul and Silas, and they got beaten regularly, but they beat Paul and Silas. They were severely flogged, and they were thrown into prison. 
And in order to make sure they didn't escape, they were put in the inner cell. And then they had their feet fastened in the stocks. And yet in verse 25, it says that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The word that's used for praying, I hadn't realized this, but the word that's used for praying is not the word used for making requests, but rather it's the word that is used for praise. That's that kind of praying. It's a praise and it's a worship prayer. Instead of asking God to get them out, they turned it into an opportunity just to worship God, an opportunity for rejoicing. I suppose if I was giving you keys today, this would be one of my keys. Worship unlocks joy. Probably not the kind of keys that Paul and Silas were looking for at the time, but there we go. Keys. Worship unlocks joy. Worship. Worship. Let's be a people of worship. Let's be worshipers. Before anything else, let's just worship God. The rest, of, the rest can be taken care of. Let's just be worshipers. We have to release our problems to Jesus. We have to invite him into this situation. Because when he's in charge, we can have joy, no matter what happens. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 7. He says, In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. I know we all suffered. Paul certainly suffered. But in all his troubles, his joy knew no bounds. It was limitless. His joy just continued. James chapter 1, verse 2 it challenges us. This is a one that we're familiar with, I'm sure. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, that sounds a bit perverse, but it takes a conscious decision. We're commanded to work at it. We can't manufacture this joy, but we can give our problems to Jesus by leaning on Him and leaning on Him with everything that we've got. And our joy comes from him. Okay, so that's why we can say consider it pure joy when facing trials. Why? Because we have to turn to Jesus. We have to. When we have nothing left, we have no other option, we have to turn to Jesus, and that's a good thing. That's why we can praise God sometimes for the hardships, because if nothing else, they show us that we've come to the end of ourselves, and we need him. We need to lean on him. That's why we can consider it pure joy. Okay, we're getting through these. But the last one I want to look at is remain close to Jesus. The only way to experience the fruit of the Spirit is to be obedient to Christ and submit to the Spirit on a daily basis. The only way, obedience to Jesus and submission the Holy Spirit. But to discover joy, it's like we have to abandon the search for joy and instead go wholeheartedly after the one who is joy himself. We have to remain in Jesus. We have to remain in him. John 15, the famous chapter, puts it this way, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and obey and remain in His love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I'm going to read that one again. John 15, verses 10 and 11. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, 
just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. In the last bit, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. So, the way to joy is in obedience. The way to joy is to remain in Him. If we want the kind of joy that is complete and lacks nothing, then we must remain close to Jesus. Apart from Him, we can bear no fruit. And it says, John 15 verse 4, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit. No joy is a fruit. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Okay, we're going to close in a moment or two. But just let me mention maybe three practical application steps. I'll do it very briefly, and then we'll finish today. Could the band maybe come up and start preparing to, to play out? I'll just be another two minutes. But the first one, the first application, guard yourself against the joy stealers. Be vigilant. If necessary, if it helps, ask somebody to keep you accountable so that you can learn the secret of contentment, so that you keep short accounts with people, so you get into the habit of regularly confessing sins to God. Don't allow any of these things to get a foothold in your life and begin to rob you of the joy. The next thing, the next practical thing, is to identify one of the joy builders that we've just listed there. Identify just one that you maybe need to work on. Pick the one that is weak for you. Make a note of it just now. Pick the one that is maybe weak for you. Recognize God is joyful. Release your problems to Jesus. Remain close to Jesus. Pick one of these. And the last thing that I would recommend is read through the book of Philippians. It's okay. It's only four chapters. It'll only take about 15 minutes. But read through it. As the word joy or rejoice is used about 19 times, even in this short book. And as you read it, ask God to grow, to cultivate the fruit of joy in your life. Prayerfully go through the book. Now, why should we do this? I'll finish with one scripture. Romans 14, verse 7, it says this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. God bless you.